it's playoff time and the road to Vegas goes through San Francisco and Baltimore. BetOnline is your number one source for all playoff football odds, stats, trends, and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of player performance props. Head over to BetOnline today and stay on top of all the action. BetOnline, the game starts here. This is the Fun Belt Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Folks, the Dusty Thibodeau of Warhawk Report, Jeremy Harper of Powell Razor, and Shane Metlin of the Daily News Record. I think it's potentially a very good week for the Sun Belts. But I'm just kind of going off on a random rant. It, it's it's just frustrating. It, it's... Shane, <laughs> uh. Dusty, welcome back to the Fun Belt Podcast. Guys, it's good to see you again. It's been like yeah, some of us actually uh, show up for our, for our job there, Jeremy. <laughs> you know what? I I'm like that that guy who just pops in when he when he wants to. He's always welcome, right? You guys are always like, Banker's hey, hours. Is here. Yeah. <laughs> guys, I have some news. I have some late breaking news. <clears throat> Even as we speak, the very moment we're recording this podcast. Did you enter the portal? No, I've not entered. The portal. But the okay. electricity. In Lafayette, Louisiana has entered the portal. It is gone. The Cajun Dome is without power. The Arkansas State-Louisiana game postponed. New date to be determined. I can't think of a more, I don't know, Louisiana thing to have happen than a truck backing into a power pole, knocking out the power just in time for a game not to start. It's, it's been a crazy power season <laughs> this year for Sunbelt yeah. Athletics. If you remember the opener there against Army for ULM was delayed, hurried, however you want to say it, when the power was out in Malone Stadium because mm-hmm. a sorority did a balloon release and it hit the main power feed onto campus, causing oh. a short and, and killing the power on all of campus. Nice. You know, like Georgia State, the, the, at their new place, they seem to have issues with their lights. Like, they'll just turn off, like in the middle of the game. So, th- th- I don't know. Maybe we need to call Commissioner Gill and get him to, I don't know, maybe subsidize some of these electric bills for some of the Sunbelt members, because I feel like we're having this issue way too many times. Are there those issues in the mighty neck of the woods there for JMU there, Shane? We haven't had them recently. I'm not going to brag about that because that means it's probably right around the corner. But uh, Well, you guys have that elite East Coast power. Our area, well, we're a little bit used to, like, you know, when the ice, mm-hmm. you know, gets on the lines and the branches yeah. break because they get heavy. Our, our Dominion Power Company is is used to that. They they dispatch the trucks pretty fast when the weather gets bad. Oh well, yeah, yeah. You, you got that hardiness up north. We get maybe a skimming of ice, and it is pure chaos here in the south. It's cars can't drive, power lines go down. I, I remember once a couple of years ago we had a, a snowstorm. I looked outside. There were people in my backyard chopping down trees to get wood. What? What? Just three days of snow, and we're already just chopping down trees to survive. This is Little Rock, Arkansas. 
Anyway. So anyway, anyway, no game tonight between the Cajuns and Arkansas State. The Mountaineers and Georgia Southern have already played. And, you know, the Georgia Southern, they beat the bet online spread uh, set at 16 in favor of the Mountaineers. I believe it was only a 10-point or 11-point win for uh, Appalachian State. But Appalachian State continues to cruise, continues to do well. And I believe South Alabama and who's who's is it who's playing tonight? South Alabama and ULM and ULM, ULM is up by ten right at the half. Wow, that's a kind of a big deal. Yeah. The return of Thomas Howell to Fant Ewing Coliseum at the half, two points for the guy that <laughs> set the boat on fire and headed to Mobile. <sighs> yeah, he was a legend there. At I wouldn't go that far. Oh, okay. He's not. But it was surprising when it happened. He was a good player. Yeah, he was solid. He was a good player. Yeah. I mean, good enough for the Warhawks, right? <laughs> Come on, it's the Warhawks. Hey, Jeremy, on the women's side, how did that game oh. fare when uh, the Red Wolves ventured into Fant Ewan? All right, let me tell you something, Shane. You know, how Dusty has been kind of bragging about Warhawk women's basketball, like since the preseason. Oh, they're going to be good. And we kind of just humored him and went, no, okay. Okay, little buddy. It's good. Yeah, they're going to be good. Sure they are. They're good. Yeah. And they, they, they put down some pain. That was a good game until Arkansas State Dusty. It was a good game. They, there was some back and forth. But uh, the women of ULM, they can hit the three. And they were making it rain tonight. So hats off to Dusty for calling it. Because ULM might be the most improved women's basketball program in the country. Am I? Is this hyperbole to say that, Dusty? No, tied for third place with the mighty Dukes. That still sounds weird saying Dukes when you're talking about a women's sport. But the mighty Dukes of James Madison at six and two. I'm most impressed with Marshall sitting at eight and zero, oh, fourteen yeah. and five overall, eight game win streak. They're good, and, and and it's not one just one dimension of their game. They're well-rounded and able to do things on both sides of the floor in transition. That that might be our, our regular season winner for the Sunbelt women's basketball. All right, well, it should be good at tournament time, right? Let me ask you guys a question, though. And because we're men, this makes us the experts, right? We're, we're the right panel for this question. What do you think of when, like, like a team, like a women's basketball team, they take the mascot and they sort of turn into something like a little bit different, like the Lady Lumberjacks, or if it were the Dugettes, or, or you know, you, you've seen that before. What do you guys think of that? Do you, does it seem a little condescending in this day and age, or is there something to it that actually – kind of clarifies a little bit when you're trying to talk about the men's teams, and the women's teams. I say, take it on a case by case basis. I sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, I've always found it very interesting how Delaware Uh is the fighting blue hens. I think they're the only ones I can think of that have a, a female mascot for their men's Mm. teams. Um, but, you know, like 
something like Lady Vols at Tennessee, and they're yeah. very proud of that. That's a big deal. <clears throat> I'm not. I don't think anybody's you know arguing they should change that. But for the most part, I don't see much reason for it to be different. Although it, it is a little weird it, with JMU. Duke's is you know a yeah. male, but, yeah. but it, it, it's also it's named after a guy, not. They, they adopted the kind of the royal aspect of the Duke thing, but it's named after a person, one of the former presidents of the university. But, but it is, you know, they could have been the duchesses or something. They never were. It's not like they changed it to make it. Were they the lady Dukes? I mean, did, did they, were they ever referred to as, you know, the, the Dukes basketball team and then the lady Dukes? Was I don't they, know. I mean, honestly, the women's basketball team, might be the oldest team on campus. Hmm. Um, I mean, and they've been playing women's basketball for a long time. Wow. They've got, I mean, they've been good, but they've got the fourth most wins in women's basketball all time. Wow. That's partially because they've been playing for a really long time. So, you know, we had the Lady Red Wolves for a long time. And before that, they were the Lady Indians. (laughs) And yeah. Which is doubly strange and bizarre in this day and age, but they've totally phased that out. Which I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm fine with. You know, I'm fine with that. You know, the women's team, the men's team, or whatever. But there is time. There are times, guys. Like if I'm tweeting something, and I'll be like, "All oh, the Red Wolves are up, you know, eight six on ULM or whatever." Is there some confusion? Wait, are the men playing or are the women playing? We don't know because it used to be you could have that moniker and say, "Oh, the Lady Red Wolves are you know on top," <laughs> but it's like you don't have that 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 clear descriptor anymore. So, it, are we missing out a little bit? Dusty, yeah. come on, come to the come to save us from this misogynist discussion. I mean, the Warhawks are based on Chenault's P forty Mustangs, yeah, and. There were times back in World War II when the Warhawk was there that if you you had the right uh, kill or or did something big on the bombing run, you would get the icon of the woman painted on your plane. So what difference does it make? They're all still Warhawks, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of though, is there confusion? Can you, do you do you do Lady Warhawks when you're talking about women's basketball? Not at all. Uh, okay. I just tag WBB. Yeah, that's if I'm tweeting, you know, if I'm tweeting the score, I just put WBB and then the teams and the score, and that usually takes care of it. By the way, I think a lot of people outside of the Sunbelt universe is not quite aware that a Warhawk is referenced to probably a lot like not many people realize that the Dukes is a reference to a person, somebody back in the old times of, of the university. I don't know if everybody recognizes that a Warhawk is an airplane. I think a lot of people well, assume that there is a Native American aspect. Not in the least bit. But if you remember, their coolest uniform that everyone loves, they're always over uh, Uniwatch, is the P-40 Warhawk with the yeah. shark's tooth on the helmet, the gray uh, kind of paint scheme that you would see on the I old P-40. I so I think a lot of people recognize it when they're in that uniform, but not necessarily yes. when they're wearing the ULM traditional yeah. maroon and gold. Yeah. In fact, I think I had to be informed about that at some point. I didn't realize, I thought it was a reference to some native American heritage, but, but that, I, mean, I thought it was, I thought it was a made up bird until I saw the, 
like not like a warhawk. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. no, I yeah, just appreciate that the Sun Belt has some unique nicknames. That it's not catch. it's not all tigers and we got we do have the two eagles, but you know it's not all tigers and wildcats and bulldogs. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like we had to dig deep a little bit, and I, I do appreciate that. All right, we so need to speaking- write that down as a question, though. Next time we have Commissioner Gill on, if, if that plays in, that that if we were to add a team to the Sun Belt, that we're not getting a another Eagle, that we're not getting a another Boobcat type team, that that we're we're going unique. Yeah, we could never bring in Ohio Bobcats. Is, two Bobcats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say it's pretty unique, but I guess there's two. But yeah, still not too many. We need the bull weevils. Speaking of Boobcats, Dusty, something. Really boob caddy happened in the last few days in San Marcos. I, I know you guys have been kind of watching it. I counted, <laughs> maybe I'll bring that up a little later. Dusty, I have a feeling you have your fingers on the pulse of this because you're in Texas. Why don't you give us a quick rundown for our audience? What is going on at Texas State and the quarterback situation? Yeah, we went from basically anointing. Texas yeah. State, yes, already the winners of the West for this upcoming season. Before there was even the first spring practice, before there was really <laughs> any kind of uh, shaking out of the tree of who was going to be good, who was going to be bad. There was no discussion about it in New Orleans uh, at Sunbelt Media Days. It all just went to hell in a handbasket very quickly. We knew that. Maldi was coming back to the running back position with his great intro video that he did on the X. Yeah. Followed a couple of days later by TJ Finley. Hey, we're running it back. We're going to win the West. Yeah. I'm back. Yeah, they are. With that sure. duo alone, great team. A lot of experience. Then, the Boobcats go out to grab Jaden Delora, who on paper was, I think, a three, four star quarterback that had signed at. Arizona, yeah, put up some pretty big numbers while he was there with the Wildcats before getting hurt. A real coup. Would have been a pretty good player Yeah, between the sidelines. A lot of people talking about Texas State. Wow, what a deep quarterback room. But with that, (laughs) I think that he, somewhere in there also, before I, I get there, Malik Hornsby, well, I'm yeah. not going to be quarterback because TJ Finley's coming back. I'm going. I'm I'm leaving. I'm so bailing. he returns closer to home, goes yeah. to your Red Wolves. Yeah, to pick up a wide receiver, which we could use. He's he's a good enough athlete. That that, that should be yeah. easy transition. He's got track speed. But upon Delora signing with Texas State, transferring uh-huh. in, TJ Finley, my services are no longer needed. I'm hitting the portal myself and winds up going to everyone's favorite mascot, Big Red. He is now a topper. But then the legal issues off the field, stemming back from high school, come back to bite Delora. And as the very detailed official Texas State release said, he's no longer enrolled here. Thank you. Good day. So here's the story I'm hearing, Dusty. I heard there was going to be a protest once he was coming in to enroll <clears throat> and that played a part in that, that, that a student protest 
kind of colored some of the judgment on that. Did you hear no about doubt. I mean, there were a lot of alumni that were pissed. There were a lot of players that were pissed, people on campus, people off campus. It, it was never able to leave the regional media. Everyone was hearing about it. So they had to do something in order for nothing to kind of come about it. And as I think Kef Tardillo, who's been on the show before, said, yes. it took them a little while to do it, but they finally did the right thing by allowing him, Delora, to withdraw from Texas State and kind of exit stage right. Yeah, I've been monitoring Kef's uh, Twitter feed on this. And he, he had said he had actually spoken to Finley. And <clears throat> Finley sort of implied that he, at least this is how I read it, that it wasn't really about them bringing in another quarterback. He, he was just kind of ready to go. I don't know if that's true. I would think that, that Finley would be pretty pissed after saying, I'm not coming, I'm not portaling, I'm coming back, we're going to lead Texas State to a title, fans get behind this team, let's go, and then the next step is to bring a four-star quarterback in? Does that, where is the thinking on this? I mean, maybe sometimes you think to yourself, well, this guy's fallen to my lap, I can't say no, I got to bring him in, right? Yeah. I could see that happening that you would think that, but then that's if it's a guy that's got a spotless record, not somebody that you're not I'm sure. Not is good at, before you find out about the shit, right? <laughs> not, not, not somebody you're not sure is going to like pass muster as far as, you know, controversy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, <clears throat> you know, if, if it was a power five starting quarterback who would have success and yeah, was just too good to pass up, and you knew he was going to come in and get into school and be a model student and citizen. Sure. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's a rough business. Sorry, TJ Finley. But like, you know, yeah. but to take that risk on somebody where this is not unpredictable that this could have happened when you bring in this guy, that there would be protests, there would be um, people upset about it. <clears throat> that doesn't make – that's just getting kind of greedy, I think. When, so do you think Kenny and the staff knew about these issues before bringing them in? Yeah, before, so yeah. did you see Kenny's statement on it was basically that, like, his assistant coach has known him for a long time. They believe him. They, you know, I think I think things were dropped or settled or something. He didn't face any criminal charges. Um, and, they yeah, they basically just said, like, hey – We've known him for a long time and we believe him and that's good enough for us. And it wasn't good enough for a lot of people. And I think that is something they should have seen coming. So with I, I think it also added fuel to the fire though, when Stutzman, the, the coach that, that knew him from Hawaii, where, where he held from bailed yeah. pretty much as soon as he got on campus. And so it really gives the perception of, I can see this shit show about to happen and I'm getting out of here while I still can. <laughs> That did. That was not a good look, but you y- you have to feel a little bit for Texas State fans because in the span of less than a month, you got eleven stars, recruitment stars, worth a quarterback, leave San Marcos, and now what are they left with? They're left with a redshirt freshman, a freshman, and a redshirt sophomore, a, a kid that they've pulled out of New Mexico State. Now, surely I'm sure there's plenty of guys in the portal if they need some experience, <laughs> they'll pull them in. 
<laughs> but yeah. that's just a bad deal for Texas State, uh, especially this late in the in the game. Yeah, I mean, I'm and sure I, things will probably work out. I mean, probably Jordan McLeod's still in the portal. I'm not saying he's going to go there, but there's people of that caliber sure. still out there to get, and there's going to be guys that come spring ball ending realize they're not getting the starting job somewhere, and they're going to enter the portal. I think they'll be able to get at least a serviceable quarterback. And it's just, and Texas State would be a good place, yeah, to get some reps because there's no clear quarterback there. If you're a guy with some experience in the portal, uh, you're probably going to have a good chance if they pick you up of being the starting quarterback. At yeah, the it's just why would you do this when you were like like we said you were going to be the favorite in the West. You were going. You were set up to have the best year in program history. Why mess with it? I don't, I don't get it. He already had the formula that everybody loved in San Marcos. Why would you mess with that secret formula? I don't know. Is it a rookie mistake from Kenny, who's kind of used to operating underneath the radar with at the FCS, and now suddenly he's under this glaring spotlight? I don't know. But that was a really wild decision. Dusty, let me ask you this. Has the Warhawks, your team, your alma mater, the guy, the team that you love the most, have they ever in their history picked up some guys that you're like, hmm, these are some questionable uh, moral choices here that we're making, putting this guy on the roster? And you don't have to name names. No, I mean, they, they've had some ins- some issues that have arisen from guys that were on campus hmm. after they were already there. But I cannot, and, and I tried to think of that even around the league of guys that might have had some of the stink, so to say, on them around the league. And and I really couldn't think of anybody that, that had any kind of stigma around them uh, anywhere in, in, in the Sun Belt. Uh, Arkansas State has a couple guys that have had questionable records with the police in the past. Things like armed robbery, uh, uh, things like... Uh, you know, assault that charges were dropped and they end up coming over there. And there was, a, there, there's a lot of eyebrow raising and do we need this guy on campus? That's happened at Arkansas State before. And so I kind of understood with Texas State kind of what they were going through when you bring a guy that has a lot of talent, a lot of promise, but man, that baggage. <laughs> you know, do you, do you take the baggage and hope that, hey, this was just, you know, a kid making a mistake and we can sort of, you know, somehow re- uh, remedy this kid or, or whatever. Uh, or do you just do you make the obvious choice, the right choices, which I guess Texas State made? It's just like, we, we just don't need any of this. Shane, have you ever heard, seen any of that, something like that happen at with the Dukes or even with Kansas when you're out there? I mean, yeah, it's happened more at Kansas. I mean, they've had an instant entrance like just this year with the basketball player mm, that yeah. had an accusation at Texas transferred I think was a quit I don't remember he he was acquitted or something but then got to Kansas and before he even played the game was arrested for rape again and oh, yeah I mean and, and like people are not happy about that yeah. J- and I feel like that's the case too. When you bring somebody into the campus community that's already had something against them and you bring them in, 
it does seem to get a different reaction than if somebody's already there and then they have an issue. Um, <clears throat> at JMU, a couple of years ago, Riley Stapleton, a really good tight end, um, he didn't play in the Sun Belt. He, he graduated before they made the move, but he was, you know, an FCS All-American type of player. He had um, a sexual misconduct. I don't remember exactly what I was going to say assault, but I can't say for sure that waking up if it was assault. But there was there was an accusation that he did something at a party to a girl. And um, I think he ended up, you know, settling out of court or taking a plea bargain. I don't remember exactly how it ended, but it was a case where there were some people unhappy about it, but he also was a guy who's already wildly popular yeah. on, you know, on campus. And, you know, they didn't get rid of him. Signetti, I think suspended him for a few games. I, I think of all the things that Signetti did at JMU, um, not coming up with a harsher penalty for that guy was probably maybe the most questionable thing he did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think in the end, you've got to hold that head coach accountable for that. You know, especially when something like that happens in Kansas where the coach says, okay, I'm going to roll the dice on this guy. And immediately brings that kind of danger to the campus immediately brings that danger to the community. I mean, there, there needs to be some sort of punishment, not just for the perpetrator, but for the people responsible for bringing him. And maybe that's what, in, in the end, that's what Texas state was like, Hey, listen, we can't, we, we, we can't yeah. be held responsible here if something goes south. And it's tough when, you know, they haven't been convicted of anything. And, yeah. and, and you know, true. there are yeah, instances sure. of false accusations. And that that makes it tough on people who have actually been victims. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's hard to say, okay, this guy was not convicted of anything, he, but he doesn't deserve a second shot anywhere ever. Yeah. But you got to, like, I guess do your due diligence and yeah and, and i guess that's it's, you, it's it's a tough situation but and i guess that's where you really have to have some faith in coaches and staff yeah. to really do their homework and really figure out you know parse the difference between a kid who's a really a bad apple and a kid who's just caught up in something beyond his control but yeah man, yeah I wow know, selfishly if i was a coach who already had a good quarterback, I wouldn't go out on a limb for something like that. Just selfishly. Beyond that, yes. What a dumb thing that happened. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe there was something about Finley. They're like, oh, he could be better. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, Western Kentucky, uh, it's it's not a bad landing place for him. I mean, quarterbacks thrive uh, at Western Kentucky as Hilltoppers. So he'll probably – Especially up- in bowl games against Sunbelt teams. Any time that the Hilltoppers want to embarrass the Sunbelt, they usually do it on the big stage. So uh, good, for, good for Finley uh, landing on his feet right away. Uh, yeah, and Jordan McLeod, wow, still out there, still waiting for his shot. He's like on top of a list of uh, some pretty premier names uh, waiting in the transfer portal. So uh, kind of seeing where he ends up. Would be pretty damn funny, Shane, if Jordan McLeod ended up at Texas State. Yeah. Has anybody ever been the conference player of the year at two different schools? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, that sort of had an opportunity to happen in, in a way. I, uh, uh, I know that, uh, gosh, oh, suddenly, uh, the quarterback that was at Arkansas State that went to Texas State. Um, 
Oh, God, help me out, Dusty. You usually have these names right on tap. Um, I know who you're talking about, but I cannot <laughs> think of his name. Shit. All, all I can think of is Lincoln Pear, and that's the running back. That's the running back. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway. then yeah. there was a Damn It McBride reference today on the X as well. But okay. he, again, was all Explain Texas that. State. Explain that to me, because McBride was kind of made a cheeky video, right? And I was looking at that. I was like, for a second, there, I said, does he have eligibility left? Is he is he coming to Texas State? No. Okay. That was Remember, that's where he started off. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, yeah. It, and it, it, it never failed at every game. There was a damn it McBride moment. And <laughs> that's why we loved him and why we began to love the Boobcats. Yeah, yeah, sure. It'd be nice, though, if he could come back to the Boobcat. I'm coming here to save you. <laughs> and on that note, okay. we have a great guest tonight. He's been all over the X. Tony Altimore is a strategy consultant, but he has made the pretty infograms that have taken over the Twitter, the X, whatever else you want to call it. And he's here to talk about it, of how the G5 looked in pretty pictures when it comes to the business side of sports. So Tony, welcome in there. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. I love the Sun Belt and a lot of the stuff that's going on there. It's so some exciting teams. And I think you guys are doing some really cool things, both in sports and in education. So it's exciting to be here. So let's jump into it. When when you start kind of looking at the G5 as a whole, where does the Sun Belt kind of fit in to that on the business side of the athletics? So the Sun Belt is really interesting because there's a couple of things that I think the Sun Belt is doing phenomenally well. Like the Sun Belt has really looked at growth. They've looked at regionality. They've looked at picking schools to add that believe in sports that have, you know, great and growing facilities. I mean, the Sun Belt is turbocharging uh, its athletic departments and, and boosting the, the, the national reach of these schools and the, the brand of these institutions I think phenomenally like the Sunbelt is literally if you were to have like, you know, McKinsey come in and like build a whole strategy and execute it on it perfectly. I mean, that's kind of what the Sunbelt is doing. The, the only risk or, or sort of problem there is like at what cost. So the Sunbelt schools uh, are all you know, subsidizing their athletic department. All the G, the G5 are all subsidizing their athletic department heavily um, with, with school money, which is, which is a, a, a valid, you know, we look at sports like sometimes we say that you're losing money. Like it's a choice you make. You know, you you spend money on the music department, and the theater department, and the athletic department. So it's it's not everybody's going to be like the Big Ten, the SEC, where they break, they happen to break even. Like most of these schools have to invest that money that's you know spent and lost. The problem with the Sun Belt schools is they're subsidizing a lot of money. You know, one thousand, two thousand, up to you know, coastal's over four thousand dollars per student is being subsidized to cover athletic department shortfalls. Again, it's not shortfalls like they mismanaging; it's just they don't make enough. So, you, you know, your question is like, for each student, should we be paying you know four thousand dollars towards subsidizing the athletic department? And and that's before we're even getting into things like athletes potentially having to be classified as employees and having to pay athletes and all that. That's, that's two years ago. Uh, and I haven't seen the new data is just starting to come out right now. So we haven't seen the new data, but at most schools so far, athletic spending has increased this year. So 
we would expect that it has in the Sun Belt too. So that you know the the risk to the schools is is asking the question: How much subsidy can you take before you either have to ratchet that back or or find a way to increase the income? So with that said, what what do you feel or in, in your analysis that you've done since you've kind of broken the everything apart? What is the secret to the sauce? Is it that hey, we need a bigger budget so that we're better in athletics and that translates to academic success? Or do we need to be the Stanfords and, and the brilliant academics to generate the money so that we can pay for athletics? Well, well the real question, too, which, which each school can only answer themselves individually is, you know, for example, are they using sports to help grow the school? You know, for example, like, you know, Coastal's grown, I don't know, what have they grown, four times in the past 20 years? I mean, it's just, you know, boomed as an institute. And I'm not, I don't mean to pick on them. I just, I, I knew their numbers because we looked at it. So, you know, the schools that are trying to grow and they're trying to use this to increase their brand, you know, you can say that that's the cost of doing business. That's the, that's the money that we're spending to do that. Uh, you just have to sort of say like, okay, you know, can we keep this up? Is this sustainable? Or else what, what are we going to have to do? Because a lot, for example, and a lot of it's non-revenue sports, a lot of it's the huge increase in administrative overhead that they didn't used to have, by the way. I mean, these schools now employ teams of graphic designers and web designers and photographers and videographers, and they each have their own, you know, production studios, uh, you know, to, to create these videos for Twitter and Instagram. So, I mean, that stuff costs just enormous overhead and the thing of it is is quite honestly when you think about it, like it's not that much more well, i mean it is more because they have more to spend but like the needs of ohio state aren't that much different than the needs of arkansas state you know as far as like we play the games we want to put something out there so you know that you you have sort of scale issues where you're trying to do stuff but you don't necessarily have the the financial base and scale but at the same time, what the Sunbell is really doing also is just booming their exposure, booming their relevancy. Their teams are going out and winning. I mean, they're going out and beating ACC teams. They're going out and you know, winning all kinds of games. And, and that's the recipe for growing the athletic department to a higher level. With that said, though, it seems like the, hey, we made it, we're successful, is we get that. 13th or 14th game, meaning that we're in a bowl game or in the postseason. Recently, though, Louisiana Lafayette came out with their audits from the previous year, which included them going to the Independence Bowl. Playing in that bowl game actually cost them about $350,000. Is that kind of a norm that unless you're in one of the elevated New Year's New Six or bigger bowls, that it may not be worth necessarily going to the postseason. Well, here's one of the questions is what is what is the real return? And I'll tell you one of the things, for example, that these schools will do, for example, is they when they do make this bowl game, they bring all their boosters out and they have, you know, days of engagements. And, you know, if I mean, if you're at the Rose Bowl, there's, you know, banquets and balls and events and you know, you're flying your whole band out and they're performing at all of them. And, you know, you're, you're doing all these events. And what those events are really doing in a lot of ways, too, is they're nurturing your boosters. 
So, I mean, I'll give you an example. UCLA lost 40, uh, last, in the last fiscal year we were looking at, they lost something like $40 million from their athletic department. But <laughs> in the same year, their fundraising people raised $800 million in donations. So of those $800 million, how many of those people were entertained at the Rose Bowl or Pauley Pavilion? Uh, a pretty good number. So one of the things that the schools need to think about, and the schools do think about this, right, is, you know, they're looking at it almost a lot of times like as an investment in alumni relations. Like you engage your alumni. You They made a bowl. Uh, and, and forgive me, I don't know their recent track record. They haven't been to a bowl in a while, I don't think, or it hadn't been, right? ULM has it. Louisiana Lafayette's yeah. been pretty successful. At, at They've been pretty, okay. Postseason. Yeah, So, but when you do that, when you get to those bowl games, it's it's a way to engage your alumni and engage your people and and you pick up the tab for a lot of events and stuff like that, that, you know, sort of galvanizes the community. And so, and that comes with a cost. Um, and I mean, when you think about it too, you think about like st other stuff people do on campus, you know, whether that is, I don't know, spring fest or whatever, and they bring out huge musical acts, schools spend a fortune on that stuff. You know, they, they spend more than $300,000 on like, you know, the, spring fling concert weekend or you know whatever for the school um and so but when you do the bowl game thing yeah you lose a couple hundred grand but at the same time you are galvanizing alumni support and donor support and and things like that so there there can be advantages in it but you have to you have to sort of think about it as, as an investment for the school not as a money-making thing um, and, you know, I think one of the problems for some of the athletic departments that don't make money is they get hit with like another thing that we have to spend on. And, and that starts to get old because they're, they're constantly, you know, adding to the expense line, but, but they're not adding enough to the revenue line. And, and sometimes that revenue line doesn't necessarily show up in athletics. So, for example, if you think about like growth, you know, a lot of the Sunbelt schools are trying to grow. And this is helping their brand. It's helping their image. It's helping them grow. So all those new students paying tuition, um, you know, the school's getting that. But, of course, the athletic department's just losing more money. So the school sometimes looks at that and they're like, okay, you know what? We believe this is an investment in our future. So we're willing to, you know, give you the money to lose. If that makes sense. It does. And, and so also with that, I think that the multimedia rights is another big thing that that's really the big money maker for different universities, athletic programs. Looking at, at one of the infograms that you kind of put out though, it's not really as lucrative if you're in the G five because you're playing on the ESPN pluses, you're playing on the threes on the NFL networks that really don't have as many eyes on them. You're not making What's a lot of money. Yeah, what is the answer of, of how do you truly monetize your media rights? Yeah, so I mean, that's the issue is if you're not on those big networks, there's not a lot of money there. Um, so I mean, it was, so that's where, you know, you think about, and, and there, there was some really interesting stuff like this. Like, uh, I understand, for example, the Sunbelt turned down uh, the Pac-2 uh, wanting to do something with you guys. I, I don't know the details of um, but it was because they looked at it and they were like, well, it doesn't really pay for us to go out there. So there, there's a couple things with that. The first one is you can think about like, okay, how do we increase it? Cause you always want to increase it. So, you know, what do we do that gets us better windows that gets us, you know, more things. 
Well, one of the things, and this is probably people are going to be mad at me for saying this, but like, if you're not going to make money anyway, you have a little bit of, or not much money, you have a little bit of flexibility. So you can do things like, for example, the Mac brilliantly does that, the whole Maction thing where they move their whole schedules to midweek for what is it, October, November, and it's a blat and people watch and it becomes a thing at the schools on the weeknights. And you know, they've really found a way to make that work. And it's something different. Because, you know, it, it, and it puts them on, even, if the, you know, on ESPN2 on a Wednesday night, as opposed to being on ESPN Plus on a Saturday afternoon and no one sees it. Now, there's a, there is some debate on that, because if you think about it as a school, you know, do you, do you want to give that up? And they kind of split their season a little bit, so they don't totally give it up. But you start to be like, you know, okay, do we really get enough money to, to make that worth it. And you start to get questions then of like costs, you know, for example, for example. So when, when they were, when the, they were talking about like, Oh, do we add a whole bunch of teams to the pack two right now? It was like, well, it doesn't really, it's not really worth the money. So that's kind of a negative, but it's also a little bit freeing because what the Sunbelt, for example, has been able to do is really focus on, we want to add schools in our region, you know, that are, they give really Sunbelt's almost like following the SEC model. You know, the Sunbelt is literally following the SEC model. We want schools that are, you know, geographically fitting, that give create rivalries, you know, that, that love football, that have great fan bases, stuff like that. And and following that model, I think I I personally think you know they, they've put themselves in in a position to to really create a strong product. And, you know, depending on the shakeups that we see at uh, the upper levels, uh, you, you could be in a very strong position going forward. You said the, the, the Sun Belt's much like the SEC. I, I keep trying to get the SBC chant to go, but, but it's just not sticking <laughs> or catching. So I, I, I keep trying. Well, Look, see, I, we, we, always, we always make fun of the chant because, like, you know, we don't want our rivals to win. People are like, Oh, are you rooting for Oregon? I mean, she's like, no. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, and, and, and that is the unique thing about the Sunbells. I, I think other than, you know, maybe that one week a year, so to say, when you're playing your team, you want the Sunbelt to go 14-0 and every week, um, which 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 is really great and, and really cool. It does get a little hairy towards the end of the season. I think everybody's tired of each other and, and everything. <laughs> That's true, El Goprinsis. Exactly. But as you look at, at kind of college athletics and the business side, you know, you've really delved into the numbers big time on this. What's been the biggest surprise that you've seen as you kind of started peeling back the layers of everything? So the biggest surprise that, that worries me is the depth of the subsidies. You know, I mean, the schools like Central Florida and Houston that are pumped, that are losing, you know, I mean, they're they're at the pretty high level. But they're still pumping in and losing thirty million a year, and that's a lot of money to be subsidizing of your athletic department because and they're trying to play catch up to the Big Twelve, right? So like getting into the Big Twelve, like that that money's not going to like vaporize that subsidy. That spending is going up, you know, to commensurate with the revenue going up. So the the subsidies are something that really worries me, especially subsidies as a percentage of the school's total budget. You know, like, you know, you think about like schools like UVA, 
you know, UVA has decided they want to be a national power in sports like soccer and lacrosse and women's swimming and stuff like that. And they are right. Like they have like Olympic medals coming into UVA and UVA is subsidizing their athletic department massively, but UVA can absolutely afford it. And, you know, Cal, Cal is the university of California is like, if the rest of the schools are sailboats, the university of California is like the USS enterprise. You know, it's just this beast of an organization. There's, there's, Despite what, despite their whining, there's plenty of money. The problem is that some of these other schools, you, know, you look at the Mac schools, there's not a lot of money. You know, the Sunbelt school, you know, you got the thing about this, uh, those other schools, like the schools that do a ton of research, when you get research grants, a certain amount of that is like given to the school for overhead, like kind of a lot. So, like, you know, when you hear about schools, I mean, I mean, uh, a lot of the Big Ten schools are doing, you know, two, you know, one, one and almost two billion a year in research. That's that's hundreds of millions of dollars that the school has to run itself and be happy. You know, the Sunbelt schools, some of them will be doing like twenty million. So you know that it's supposed to two billion. So you know, there's a lot. There's just not as much money to be sort of funding the subsidy, and so like. That's something that really worries me a lot going forward is like, you know, are we going to hit a bubble? Because the other thing, do you know about the demographic cliff that's about to hit? What is the demographic cliff? So in 2008, when the recession, so there's lots of trends, right, in education that are hurting schools. So the, the schools at the top are like expanding. They're doing more online, all that. Let's let them grow. USC's twice the size that it used to be. So it's like it's pulling more kids up from the top, which is creating a strain on schools at the bottom, uh, filling themselves. It's like why like some D3 schools have been going under and stuff like that. But we're about to get slammed with what they're calling the demographic cliff, which is in 2008 when the big recession hit. A lot of people, you know, times were hard and all that. A lot of people didn't have kids that statistically sort of normally would have. And so this is going to sound silly, but like the kids who weren't born in 2008 are then not going to be enrolling in college neck in like 2026 because you know, they did, they weren't born. So, so we have this little, and it's not a huge, you know, it's not like plummeting. It's not like there aren't 18 year olds, but like the, as far as like the U S population as a whole and population trends, there's a big dip which is where those kids weren't born. And so these schools, particularly schools that are heavily dependent on enrollment and heavily dependent on tuition and that have, you know, 95%, you know, acceptance rates. Cause they'll, again, their, their goal is to educate the masses. They're not trying to be Harvard. Those schools are going to suffer a lot because the schools at the top, you know, who want the money are going to keep sucking the kids up, but there's going to be less kids to suck. And so there's going to be a big gap that a lot of D3 schools, D2 schools uh, particularly are going to really feel the pain of this. But a lot of the big public schools we worry too may also feel the pain of, uh, of the, you know, these kids that aren't coming to school. And so therefore all of a sudden now you don't, now you, now you have 20% less kids, you have 20% less budget. What are you cutting? Always interesting and insightful. 
Tony, I can't thank you enough for joining us, Fun Belt Podcast. Tell everybody where they can get more information on the great doomsday cliff that is is, is uh-huh. pending right around the corner. Well, yeah, that you can check like the Chronicle of Higher Education. But uh, love to engage with any of you guys. Uh, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at uh, TJ Altimore, my initials, uh, and glad to chat anytime. So there it is, the doom and gloom of the educational cliff. We we got to go back to the two, 2007, 2008 and start having kids again so that we can keep funding alive for higher education, Jeremy. Whatever it takes to get this nation, one proud nation, back on its feet, Dusty. That means reversing my vasectomy. I'm on it. Ouch. <laughs> one day I'll tell you all about it. It's great. And speaking of that, it is definitely time for plugs, promos, and parting shots. Shane, oh, my, please save us. My promo is going to be about vasectomy, so I can't wait yeah. to hear what Jane's going to be about. Yeah. <clears throat> my parting shot was just going to be that I don't need to hear any more about Jeremy's vasectomy. <laughs> it was an epic moment in my life. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Did you do it? Did you time it for the first week of the NCAA tournament? Like, uh, that would have been a smart thing. I did not do that, but uh, but yeah, I you know I I didn't even go with the knock you out anesthetic. It was just the local, and it's it's a strange experience. I don't know if you guys ever done that. I don't know if you guys have done that. Dusty, have you this had the? Like, this isn't like a hey Jeremy. You remember we went to the fair and you had a corn dog? I mean, it, it's <laughs> it's kind of a traumatizing event. I, you know what? Yeah, you know, but we're adults here. We're 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 middle aged men. We we can discuss these type of things in a in a uh, I don't know in a sophisticated and 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 <laughs> I don't know some way can't we? Apparently not, Jeremy. Since you're just laughing all the way to the <laughs> bank on that one. Uh, I'm not going to talk about my vasectomy, Shane. If you've got something, please. Share it with us. What do you get? That was mine. That was that mine. was it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of what I got. So I have one for you. Okay, let me. You keep you keep going, and I'll I'll think of something. So Michigan won the national title this past year, right? That's right. And I heard. typically, when you're out celebrating a national title, things get weird, right? Uh huh. But in Michigan, it got so weird. That a woman stole a family's horse and Amish (laughs) buggy while they were shopping in a Michigan Walmart. Uh The family discovered the animal and buggy were missing after they finished their shopping. Luckily, they were able to recover the horse, who had not been injured, but the buggy was lost. Where's the buggy? MIA. (laughs) A, A victim of the celebration... Of the BCS national title, would you, if, Dusty? If ULM won the national title, would you steal a buggy from an Amish family? You're damn right. Yeah, because in in some kind of weird Bayou culture, that's probably how guarantees that it happens again in my lifetime. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out: everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. 
source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 